So we are in the Gospels. If you're just joining us, um, we have uh, the harmony of the Gospels. I'm preaching through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all at the same time, simultaneously. And so sometimes we're in Matthew, sometimes we're in Mark, Luke, or John. But today we're in Mark, and the same little part of this is in uh, Matthew as well. But in Mark, we have some greater details. And so I'm happy to share those details uh, with you. And if you need a Bible, you want to follow along with the Bible, we always have free Bibles donated um, uh, by someone that uh, believes in the Word of God being in your hands. So on the back there, if you're our guest, again, take a free Bible. You don't have one. And we actually have free coffee mugs. So if you want to drink coffee, Life of Purpose style, you go right ahead and take a coffee mug that we have back there. Um, But we're in the Word. We're in Mark chapter 9 today. Before I get there, I can just kind of tell you a little bit about myself. After college, I uh, spent one year in the country of Denmark playing uh, basketball. I had a contract for one season after college, and I will tell you that when I was playing basketball there, it was strange because my days were not filled with school anymore. You know, it was like, you go to school your whole life, you finish college, and then it's like, I didn't jump into, per se, the work, you know, where I was working all day. I was playing basketball for a couple hours a day, and so I had a lot of time to think. I had a lot of time in my hands. And well, when I got back to the States, I had a plan. In that time that I had, that year away uh, of just kind of refreshing, I had a plan, and the plan was I was going to be rich. That was my plan. I was going to get rich. You see, I've always had this mind of an entrepreneur my whole life. When I was in middle school, there were these um, packs of cinnamon toothpicks that were very popular. And you could only get them at my grandma's party store, by her house, my grandma and grandpa's party store. And so I would buy them all up when I would go there, and I would sell them at school. I'd buy them for a dime and sell them for a quarter. Until they told me I couldn't do that anymore. When I was in college, I actually had T-shirts made up for about 10 bucks, and I sold them on campus for 20. I just had this, this mindset of, you know, this entrepreneurial mindset. Well, I came back from playing basketball at the age of 23, and I was ready for my next adventure in sales. I I wanted to get into sales, and specifically real estate. I knew that there could be a lot of money made in real estate. And I was, for a few years, doing very well for myself. I was pretty successful, but I was also pretty prideful. I would use people to get the things that I wanted, to get ahead, and I didn't really care about people the way I should because it was all about me and my success. And like the Apostle Paul, I was on my own road to Damascus when the Lord spoke into my life, when God got a hold of me. And he had a different plan, a different plan that involved success, but just not the way that I had envisioned it. A plan to know him and to make him known. And that would truly make me successful. So here I am, 23 years later, serving the Lord and happy to be doing what I'm doing and feeling successful, I want to tell you that if you feel that same urge within you to be successful, I think that's God-given. I think God desires us to, to be great. After all, he made us in his own image, didn't he? And he's pretty great, isn't he? Didn't we sing that this morning, how great thou art? And so we should have this within us to be great. But he wants us to do it the right way. Jesus had 12 disciples. All of these guys were in their 20s, most likely. Like I was, 
And like you were, many of you are on your way there, or were there, and uh, you have grandiose visions for the future to be, you know, successful. And God has a way for us to be successful, but it's to be humble, right? If you want to be greatest in the kingdom, Jesus said those famous words. If you want to be first, you have to be what? Last. And you have to be servant of all. So the title is Successful and Humble. Successful and Humble. And I know many of us, we don't think of those things going together, Successful and humble. In fact, you're probably pretty surprised if you've ever met a famous person or a very wealthy person and you walked away thinking, wow, they're like pretty normal, pretty humble, pretty, pretty easy to talk to, pretty easy going. You ever met someone like that that was really, really successful and yet very humble? In the, it's not the norm, is it? It's kind of unusual because most time people that are real successful are, tend to be pretty prideful. They, they, they probably stepped on a lot of people to get to where they're at. And they don't really care about you unless you can do something for them. There's a lot of people like that in this world, aren't, aren't there? A lot of people that, that are successful the wrong way, not the way that God designed it for us. But today, Jesus is going to teach us the way to be successful and humble. But I'm going to warn you, Jesus doesn't pull punches. He's going to hit you hard. And the Word is going to tell us exactly what we need to do in our life, what, what changes we may need to make in our own life if we're going to be successful and be humble. Will you pray with me as we dive into the Word of God this morning? Father, may your Word, may it just change us in a wonderful way. We're not here to just learn more, we're here to be transformed by your Word. May it change the way we think about things, may it affect our relationships with others. May it help us be successful the way you want us to be successful. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. So if you've been around the past few sermons, you kind of know what's going on. If you haven't, let me just catch you up a little bit. Jesus had just taken three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they had gone up onto the mountaintop, and Jesus revealed his glory to him. To him. God had spoken to them, and so Peter, James, and John kind of got this special treatment, if you will, right? They, they, they were up on the mountain with Jesus. So they're loving life, right? The other nine disciples, if you recall, they were back down uh, with everybody else, and they got into an argument with the scribes, the religious leaders, and they also couldn't heal a young boy who had a demon. They couldn't cast out the demon the way they had before, and so they were kind of bumming. So you got the three that were loving life and the nine that were kind of not loving life very much, and that created some tension. You have a friend group? You have tension in your friend group sometimes? You know how that goes? All the teens in the front row are nodding their head yes, because in that stage of life, there's often a lot of tension. Well, they, they were, there was some tension, and we're going to see the result of that tension today. We're going to see that they got into an argument. They argued with one another. So here we go, Mark 9. We're going to start in verse 33. I'll walk you through it verse by verse, as I always do in the Scriptures, so we can see the Word taught. So verse 33, we begin with just a simple uh, uh, part of it. They came to Capernaum. 
So why did they go to Capernaum? Well, Capernaum was home base for Jesus and the disciples. It's where Peter lived. So more than likely, they were going to Peter's house. Peter was married. Peter may have had children. He may have had a family. So here you have Jesus and the disciples probably at Peter's house. And they're in the house, the rest of the verse says. He asked his disciples, what were you discussing on the way here? Well, of course, Jesus already knew what they were discussing, but he likes to set them up, doesn't he? So he asked them the question, and this is verse 34, they kept silent because on the way they were arguing with one another about who was the greatest. Who was the greatest? This is the result of their tension. Think about it. Peter, James, and John were probably bragging about their experience up on the mountaintop. I have a 13-year-old son. He likes to brag with his friends. I hear them bragging to each other. I made 30 bucks this week cutting grass. Check out my new shoes. Look at my pit viper sunglasses. My dad can beat up your dad. In my son's case, that's true. <laughs> boys are going to be boys. They want to see how good they are, how high they can jump right? How far they can fly. The disciples were no different. So there was some, you know, they were doing this, arguing with one another. Well, Jesus sat them down. He called them over and he said to them, verse 35, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and he must be servant of all. And then Jesus took a child, put him in the midst of them, and took him in his arms and he said to them, now we're going to hold right there for a second. If they were in Peter's house, this could have been Peter Jr. Little Peter. And you know little Peter was a little rascal. Because if you know Peter, you know Peter liked to open his mouth. And then think about it later. Right? He was, he was one of those ones that always was putting his foot in his mouth. And here's this little one that Jesus probably had to hold on tight to. You ever have one of those ones that likes to squirm and just try to get away from you? And so Jesus is holding on to this little child, and he uses this child to teach a very important truth to the disciples, and honestly, one of the greatest leadership truths that we could ever learn from Jesus is right here, leading with humility. If you want to be successful, you've got to be a servant to everyone. You need to care about all people even the little rascals. And that's what Jesus is doing. The word for servant here is a familiar word. It's diakonos. It means deacon. So where do we have for deacon in the church? Deacon is the one who serves. And so Jesus is saying you need to be a deacon. You need to, to be a servant. And Jesus led by example. Mark will later on say he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I love this whole teaching, this whole month. We're going to have this idea of, of Jesus holding on to a little child in his arms and teaching. We have next, um, the next several messages are all about this. Uh, um, if you're a parent, you're going you're gonna to love these messages. Um, we have a lot of, uh, we have a baby dedication coming up, and it's just a really special month of, of, uh, for parents, I think, to hear these messages. But Jesus has this little child in his arms, and he wants to teach his, his disciples something important because, understand the time frame here, 
This is the last year of his life. We're in the last year of his life. Jesus is going to the cross, and he wants to teach his disciples how to lead because he knows that they're going to be leading next. They're going to be in charge of leading his church. And they have to do it with humility. They have to do it serving one another. So I have three questions for you that come from the text that you can always ask yourself to see if you're leading with humility, if you're serving others, if you're being successful and humble. Here's the first question. Ask yourself, do I value everyone? Do I value everyone? The opposite would be, do you disregard people because they're different than you? And you can only answer that, how you treat other people, whether it's in your workplace, in your neighborhood, right, in your schools. How, how do you treat other people? Do you value them? You see, if you walk through the book of Acts, you know that the disciples were Jewish, 100%, and they didn't really talk to or associate with Samaritans, half Jewish, or Gentiles that were not Jewish at all. They didn't associate with them. But God opens the door. In fact, as we talked before, Peter is the one who led the church to open the door. That's why he was given the keys. That's what that really means, that he was given the keys to the kingdom of heaven, to open the door for Samaritans and Gentiles, for everyone to believe. And in Acts 10.34, when Peter was at the centurion's house, the Gentile, and he saw the Holy Spirit come upon the Gentiles, he says in verse 34, Truly I understand, God shows no partiality. That's the newer translations that they say no partiality. If you're a King James Version, you probably heard it say that God is no respecter of persons. You ever heard that before? No respecter of persons. That's what God is. He's not partial. He doesn't discriminate who gets to go to heaven. All nations and tribes are invited to heaven. And Jesus points out that even the little children are invited to. Verse 37, he says, if you receive a child like this one in my name, you receive him, you receive me. And you don't just receive me, you receive God who sent me. Jesus holding on to this little child, speaking these words, basically saying to his disciples, this little one that most people just don't really care much about, don't value, because they're little and they just need your attention all the time, he's just as important as I am. I always say the person that's taking care of children in nursery right now is just as important as I am. We're both serving the Lord. He got greeted at the door by someone. Someone came in early to set up hospitality and make coffee and just as important as me. Just as important as everyone else because we're serving the Lord. Can I get an amen for that? Jesus said, in my name. If you receive a child, in my name. Now, I believe that that triggered a thought in the mind of John, one of the disciples. Because the very next verse, John said, verse 38, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. Now, in some of your Bibles, when you read, you see there's always a heading, right, before a passage. And sometimes that heading gets in the way. In this case, it gets in the way because 37 and 38 go together. It's the same train of thought here. So, in my name, and then John says, oh, wait a minute, I remember. 
we were cast, there was a guy, and he was casting out demons in your name. And guess what we did, teacher? We tried to stop him because he was not following us. Think about that for a minute. You can see what happened. Some guy is doing God's work, but he wasn't with the disciples. He wasn't a follower of Jesus at the time, and the disciples thought, he's not doing it right. He's not doing it right. Let's stop him. But he was doing it. He was casting out demons. But they thought, well, he's not with us, so he can't be doing it. (laughs) He's not supposed to be doing it. Unfortunately, Christians do the same thing today, don't we? With all our divisions, I'm sorry, denominations, I say that wrong sometimes, but I think that's how it is. Some of these denominations are just causing divisions. We don't need that. There's one church. Do you see any denominations in the Bible? I don't. There's one church. We think everyone else is doing it wrong. And sometimes people don't mind telling other people when they do it wrong. We have, commun- we have communion today, and we do it a certain way. But the church across the street does it differently. We baptize back here by immersion, but the church around the corner does it differently. We sing with instruments. The church up the street doesn't use instruments. Who's wrong? Who's right? Honestly, when it comes to that little stuff, I don't really care. I'll wait for Jesus to come back. And if he wants to let us know who's doing it right and wrong, he'll let us know when the little stuff. But how should the disciples have treated this man? They tried to stop him. What should they have done? Should have invited him to meet Jesus. Come be a part of the group. For one thing's for sure, they should have taken some notes because they couldn't cast out a demon, and this guy was doing it. But Jesus said to them, verse 39, Don't stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. If this guy's doing God's work, he's not going to speak evil of me. He says, for the one who is not against us is for us. Now you read that, and you should think to yourself, that's not how our society says it. That's not our saying of today. Our saying is, if you're not with us, you must be against us. That's what we're told. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying successful people value all people. Just because you do things differently, just because you are different, don't dismiss them. Rather, find out what they can bring to the table. If they're not against you, then help them be part of the team. I was a basketball coach, still am, for many, many years. I was a varsity basketball coach, and it's... it's, uh, a little higher profile when you're a varsity coach. There's a lot, of, a lot more pressure on you um, uh, from a lot of different standpoints, uh, mostly from the parents, to be honest. <laughs> uh, parents uh, can really get on coaches' cases. Um, if you have a kid in sports, take it easy on the coaches, all right? I'm one of them, all right? Be kind. But here was the deal. We, we usually in basketball only keep about 12 guys on the team, 12 players on the team. And um, it's because there's just not that much playing time to go around. And we had a year where we were very successful. We had some very talented players that went on to play college. And that, specifically that year, we kept three extra players for a total of 15, which is very unusual at the varsity level because those guys really aren't going to play. But we kept them because 
we knew they had value. We knew that they were special young men. And we wanted them to be a part of the team. And so we invited them. They knew they weren't going to play when the game was close. They knew they were just going to be practice players. But I got to tell you, we praised the heck out of them when they did great things in practice. And they loved their role. And they still talk about it today. It was a special group. And don't you know, they had a great experience because we went on to have the best record in school history. We played at the Breslin Center in the Final Four in front of 13,000 people. And they just thoroughly were so happy to be a part of that. So we need to invite others to be a part of the team. Do you value everyone? Ask yourself that question. Because if you do, then you're being successful and you're being humble. The second question is, do I minister to everyone? Ask yourself that question. Do I minister to everyone? The opposite would be, do I ignore other people or neglect them? Do I ignore or neglect them? Verse 41 and 42 go together. That's how the original translation reads. Jesus said, For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now at first you might think, those two verses don't really go together at all. They don't seem like they go together. And once again, there's a different heading at the beginning of verse 42 to kind of separate them. And they they do go together. You'll see. Your Bible, um, in in this particular um, two verses, you have this idea, this thought of giving someone a cup of cold water. It should trigger maybe that thought of Jesus with the woman at the well, where she gave him a cup of cold water. Maybe Jesus was thinking about that when he said this. But what was it about the woman at the well that was significant? She was a social outcast. She had five husbands, and she was living with a guy that wasn't her husband. Nobody in town wanted to associate with her. They ignored her. They didn't want to be a... She had to go to the well at a different time than all the other ladies did. What is Jesus saying here? That you need to care and minister to everyone. Because everyone matters. And then he says about this, this, um, this child, if, if anyone causes a little one to sin. And based on this context, based on this previous verse, we can see here that Jesus isn't saying, like, talking about, sometimes we read that verse and think we're talking about hurting a child. No, it's saying you're causing a child to sin. How do you cause a child to sin? In this context, it's about neglecting a child. And I think the main application here, this mainly applies to parents. Now, parents, I know we say, well, we're never neglecting our children, or maybe you're you're, um, thinking, oh, there are some things. Putting a roof over your kid's head is not God's way of parenting. Right? We kind of have that, some people have that old mentality, but your children are your most important disciples. Do you know that? If you have children or grandchildren, they are your most important disciples. They are the ones you must spend all your time investing in. The father that doesn't minister to his daughter will probably regret someday the choices she makes with other men. The father that doesn't minister to his son 
may not like the man he becomes. We must invest in our children. They're our most important disciples. Jesus says, look how important it is. Using this figurative language, if you neglect children and it causes them to sin, it would be better if you had a millstone tied around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. I mean, that's serious. That's how serious Jesus is when he's talking about it. We must minister to the children. And we try to do that and support parents here at Life of Purpose. We have a Wednesday night program that we minister to children. We have a, sun, a summer program. We, we're, we're ministering to them right now. I remember a long time ago when my pastor and his wife were having some major issues with their two oldest children. They had four daughters, and two of the oldest, the two oldest, were rebelling. <laughs> I mean, hardcore rebelling. They were, they were, well, I'll just tell you, one of them secretly got married and moved to South Carolina. It was some heartbreaking stuff. And here the church, you know, when you're a pastor, you often, your family's under a microscope. So the whole church is watching this being played out, and we're seeing how he's responding and, and what they're doing. And, you know, he just kept ministering to them because he had been ministering to them. He had not neglected them when they were children. In fact, his two oldest ones he adopted. I mean, they had adopted. He had adopted them, and, and, and he loved them like his own, and he ministered to them. And what happened is, is you know, sometimes kids have crazy streaks, <laughs> You know, and uh, the story has a happy ending because they, they came back to their senses and they enjoyed many joyous years with their father before he passed away. And um, it's important that we keep on ministering even when it's hard, even when our kids make those decisions we're not too proud of. Do you minister to everyone. That's a question you always can ask yourself. And if you are, then you're going to be successful and humble. Lastly, do I judge myself? This is the one where Jesus is not going to hold back. Ask yourself this question, do I judge myself? The opposite would be, do I justify myself? Do I judge myself or do I justify myself? Here it is, verse 43. If your hand causes you to sin, Jesus says, cut it off. Now, of course, this is figurative language. It's better for you to enter life, eternal life, crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. If you're reading your Bible, you might see 44 is not there. 46 won't be there either because it's the same as verse 48. It's just a description of hell. Have you ever got caught with your hand in the cookie jar? as they say. If you ever catch a kid, for example, doing something they shouldn't do, it seems their first reaction is, I didn't do it. It's not me. Maybe we do that still as adults. In fact, there was a time this summer where my wife was driving and her tire literally came off the rim, all except for a little bit of, of rubber that was still around the rim. Just, so much, just enough to where you could drive on it where it was not riding on the rim, but just on this little tiny bit of, of rubber. And, and I had fortunately been kind of right behind her, and, and I helped her get off the expressway. And, you know, we could have pulled over right there, and 
you know, change the tire, but we were like a mile from our house. And I thought to myself, just, just go. Let's, let's just go home. I'll change it. Well, we got halfway home and got pulled over. Just so happened, police officer was there. And he, he comes up and, you know, he rolled down the window and, you know, and he, I, I tell him, you know, I say, you know, we're, we're almost home, you know, we're, we're going to change it there. And he said, no, you got to change it now. And I'm justifying my actions. That, that was my first response. Like, I had it fixed in my head. Like, I'm, I'm right and you're wrong. You shouldn't have stopped me. At first, I thought he was giving me a police escort, but that wasn't true. <laughs> but then he goes up to my wife and he says, you know, what would possess you to do this, to drive with your car like this? And she looks back and says, my husband. <laughs> Submission, right? She submitted. I like that. But um, anyhow, I uh, regretted my attitude because I justified my actions. And I gave him an attitude. And, and he was right. And I was wrong. And I, I just wanted to justify it. Jesus is saying, do you justify your sin? Because if you do. You know, if you're stealing from work, if you're gossiping, if you're watching inappropriate movies, whatever it is, if you're justifying it, Jesus is saying, don't do that. Deal with it quickly. It's, he's saying it's like gangrene. We know about gangrene. It spreads. And if it spreads, it kills you. You're supposed to cut off your arm if you have gangrene. And that's what Jesus is saying. Deal with it quickly. He goes on to say in verse 45, if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. Our feet lead us, can lead us into temptation. If you have a path that you take, a place that you go to, a person's house that you visit, and that leads you ultimately into sin, you need to stop going there, is what Jesus is saying. Deal with it quickly. If you hang out with someone and they take you down the, bat, the wrong road and it leads you to sin, stop hanging out with them. Verse 47, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. And here's the verse that repeats, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Our eye is the entrance to within, our thinking. And if you have a lot of stinking thinking, you need to deal with that quickly, because it leads to sin. So clean it up. And then he says some words that may be hard to understand, but I'll explain them to you. For verse 49, for everyone will be salted with fire. Fire is used to judge, to refine. And that's the judge that we have. So he's saying, you need to judge yourself. Salt is good, but salt that loses its saltiness, how, is it, how are you to make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves. Be at peace with one another. If you don't judge yourself, you won't be successful. And if you can't judge yourself, ask someone you trust to speak truth into your life. Sometimes you just can't see it, and you need someone else to see it for you. A pastor friend shared with me a long time ago, when I was pretty discouraged in ministry, a little exercise called SWOT, S-W-O-T, Strengths, Weaknesses, Opportunities, Threats. You can do it in a lot of different applications, but I was doing it as a pastor. And I wrote down in my notebook, and I still have it, my strengths, my weaknesses, my opportunities, and then any threats. It was a great way to judge myself. I was judging myself because 
I was discouraged. And it helped me move forward. I wanted to quit. I wanted to stop being a pastor. I certainly never wanted to be full-time at that point, like I am now. Because ultimately, I didn't see myself as successful. And I know it's because I was prideful. I was being prideful. And I didn't think I was successful. God was teaching me, if I want to be successful, I need to be humble. I need to be a servant of all. I can't build a church on my own. I need to value everyone. And I need to minister to everyone. And I'm thankful that I'm still here to celebrate 15 years because I'm enjoying it so much now. But back then, I wasn't. But I judged myself, and it helped me move forward. And so you have three questions to always ask yourself. Do I value everyone? Do I minister to everyone? Do I judge myself? If you ask yourself those questions, I guarantee you'll be successful and humble the way that God wants you 